reading from Hebrews 13.10. While you're turning there, uh, tonight, Brother David Jury, our pastor of discipleship, and I will be team ministering, team teaching on working with people in the altar. What an important facet of our church life where so much occurs that affects eternity. So I'll be speaking for a while and then Brother Jury and then I'll come back and wrap it up with a few things. But uh, while we're not too spiritual yet, I wanted to say happy birthday to Brother Jury. It is today. So we don't want to miss that opportunity. Appreciate Brother and Sister Jury in there. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I'm sure Brother Crabtree called him today and made sure he knew it was his birthday. Hebrews 13, 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. You can be seated. We'll be using a little new uh, idea of technology so you can see. We want to make sure that we reinforce this teaching very strongly tonight. The altar in the Bible was a place of death. And when the writer of Hebrews speaks that we have an altar... He is referring to the cross of Jesus Christ, the altar, the cross, the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ, his life itself on the cross. And truly, that is our altar, the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. But in a practical sense, it is at our altars that most people receive the word of God and activate it spiritually. It happens in the altar. It is at the altar that very often the spiritual deal is sealed for eternity when someone comes to an altar. In biblical preaching in the Bible and now, you always ask for something. We never lecture. We're never just teaching just to teach. But there is always a call to change, to repentance, to commitment to forgiveness or forgiving, the preaching always demands a response. And that obedient response comes in many forms. It certainly doesn't exclusively take place at the altar, but very often it does. In our preaching, we do not uh, condone or encourage people to say that I will wait for a more convenient season We believe that today is the day of salvation. And while the Lord is drawing, you should be coming to Him. The Word of God calls for action and change. It is at our altars that many people's lives are changed forever. What happens here, I know, can happen anywhere. We believe that God can heal, save, deliver anywhere. He's not restricted to a sacred spot. The Samaritan woman thought he was, but Jesus said it's neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem, but God desires and demands people to worship him in spirit and in truth. The altar for us is somewhat of a spiritual delivery room. Babies are born into the kingdom of God at our altars. They're born into the kingdom here. Now, the delivery room isn't a pretty place but it must be a clean place. In the process of new birth, there is the agony of repentance from sin 
and denial of self-will. At the altar, there is the death of the old nature and an appeal to the grace and salvation of God. At the altar, the will is broken and the heart is surrendered. At the altar, so very often, spiritual birth occurs. That amazing, beautiful moment when Jesus Christ fills the heart of a person and they begin to speak with other tongues for the very first time in our life, in their lives. Tonight we'll be talking about biblical principles and also practical house rules of Atlanta West. Principles and practices of praying with people in the altar. Now we know this because we are Pentecostal, oneness Pentecostal people that a powerful altar can get chaotic. Altars are often messy places. In the Old Testament, they were bloody places where an animal lost its life. That's what happened at the altar. And all manner of expressions have happened at the altar. Tears, and pardon me for saying this, but this is our family night of training. Nasal mucus have saturated our carpet tears and, you know, that stuff. Gut-wrenching wails of remorse, deep expressions of prayer have echoed from our altar. The altar, people may shout, weep, wail, dance, leap, fall out. We never know what's going to happen in the altar because that human heart who has come in contact with God maybe in this way, this encounter for the first time in their life, just doesn't know what to do. It doesn't know how to respond exactly. And often a person gets beside themselves. So because they don't know what they're doing, we need to know what we're doing. Amen? Altars are not passive. They are, nor are they placid. They are active scenes of action. And they're not cut and dried not neat and perfectly ordered. And for this reason, we need need to be able to assist people who trust God at our altar. So we need to be well-trained, spiritually prepared to manage the chaos of an active altar. Before you or I pray with other people in the altar, we need to have an active altar in our own life. Amen? So before I extend ministry to someone else, I ask for God to give me grace to cleanse my heart and not stand behind a pulpit, uh, teach or preach the word, or pray with someone with an unrepentant heart. But we pray with other people when there is a fire that is burning in our own lives of repentance and sacrifice. You need to have an altar in your life. That means you need to obey Acts 2.38 yourself to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You should be filled or baptized initially with the Holy Ghost. And then after that inner experience, your inward man or nature should be renewed day by day. Repentance shouldn't be a one-time thing. It should be a daily or as-needed thing. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 19 is to ask God to cleanse me from secret faults and keep back your servant from presumptuous or willful sins. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So before we pray with others, we pray for ourselves. We have a cleansed life, a prepared heart, spiritually sensitive and educated about how to help a person transact the most important business they will ever transact in their life, and that is coming to God for salvation. Amen? Now, we have an altar counselor team, people who are trained and approved to pray in the altar, and they will wear a badge, and Brother Jury will address the practical and some spiritual aspects of this as well. What I was thinking, that if you're on the altar team and you forget you may not be prepared because the preparation comes before you get to the altar. Amen? So souls are at stake. I, I appreciate, Brother Brandon, the songs you picked tonight in, my, in the office before church. I was thinking about the coming of the Lord. And what this is all about is helping people prepare for their last breath here and their first breath on the other side of the judgment. Amen? We are not trying to recruit people to join our church or become part of our denomination, we want them to be saved at the coming of the Lord. Amen. So to be trained, we need to understand what happens when a person encounters God. We know that there is repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost, but something takes place where a person empties themselves of themselves, confesses their sins, and forsakes their sins. Repentance is pivotal to salvation. A Holy Spirit will not come in an unclean vessel. That's why we need to make sure that a person has thoroughly repented and that they know they have repented. Some people have psychological guilt and we need to assure them with the Scripture that if they confess, He forgives and that God is a forgiving, merciful God. Repentance doesn't mean that you've worked it all out. The word itself means a change of mind. So it is the turning to God. On the day of Pentecost, they repented, were baptized, received the Holy Ghost all in the same day. And we see in the book of Acts this pattern of this spiritual transaction that takes, in many cases, just a few moments when a heart is ready for God. So it can take place, repentance may take place, In a moment, they may have been repenting for days, weeks, months before they ever got to our altars. They may be a person who walks with God in all the light that they know, living a repented life of faith, but never knew that the Holy Ghost was essential, much less for them. So, uh, we need to understand that there's this human emptying. Uh, On February 18, 2015, I taught an entire lesson on the laying on of hands. Tonight I want to excerpt it just enough to understand what takes place when a person comes to God. Leviticus 16, 21 tells us the story of the Day of Atonement. And there is a process that takes place there. I want to read just one verse, Leviticus 16, 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. He lays his hand on the goat, he confesses sins, and the sins are transferred 
to the head of the goat. And then the goat is led away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. This 10th day of the 7th month, the ceremony of the Day of Atonement, when Aaron or the high priest that succeeded him would atone for the sins of Israel. Uh, Atonement means is at one minute. It is reconciliation. The bringing together of two parties that might be at odds with one another. In this ceremony on this day, there are two goats and one ram or a bullock that are used. A ram is killed and offered to the Lord for Aaron and his family. I like to preach about this to preachers, but we're all ministers of some sort here tonight. So the first sacrifice is for ourselves. Before we sacrifice for other people, we get right with God ourselves. Amen? And then lots are cast on the two goats. One is designated as the Lord's, and it is put to death. Uh, This goat is killed as a sacrifice. The second goat is a scapegoat. It is to be presented alive to the Lord and the ceremony of Aaron laying his hands on the goat. When this happens, he is identifying with this animal. This animal is symbolically becoming Israel. It is this process that I'll explain in a moment called identification. And then he will confess the sins of Israel over this goat and putting them on the head of the goat. Now we know that there's not a list that accumulates over his head, but symbolically and spiritually, God accepts this goat as a substitute for Israel, and there is impartation. So there are two things that happen that we're involved in. It is identifying with the need of that person, and it is impartation of the Holy Ghost. Let me talk first about identification. Uh, the identification process is you feeling what they're feeling. I think we should not be too quick when we're praying with people to get past repentance and empathy of suffering with them and sensing what God is saying and what they are feeling. I won't go into this because you can go back and listen to my whole message. But when God started using me in the laying on of hands, I started feeling what people were feeling when they would pray. And I would feel a broken heart. I would feel the futility of their life. I would sense it and didn't know what was going on. I was 16 years old and trying to learn to walk with God. But identification is not imparting anything. It is really kind of locking into where they are and sensing that sinner's heart and praying with them as they empty themselves to God. They've got to get it out before the Holy Ghost can come in. Amen? Everybody please say identification. The second process of impartation. Now, when I, let me just back up. You can leave that word there. I know Brother Drury is trying to follow me, and I'm bouncing around a little bit. Impartation. If I'm praying with a man, I may lay my hand on his back when I'm in this process of just kind of identifying with where he is because I'm not ready to impart or transfer anything through a prayer of faith. I'm identifying. Uh, If I'm praying with a lady, I would only lay my hand uh, on her head, or it just depends on the age, and just carefully, and Brother Jury will talk about that. But then, when I feel that that person has really repented, you just imagine this glass emptied out. You know, this is the life of a person filled with sin. And they come to God, and what a relief to have it completely poured out to God. Remember Jesus casting the devil out of a man? 
but nothing is filled. He's swept and empty, but no Holy Ghost comes in. And now that person's vulnerable. That person's vulnerable at that moment of emptiness. So when I sense that, I begin to encourage them that God has forgiven them. If they've confessed, God has forgiven. And that the Lord is ready to fill them with the Holy Ghost. And to encourage them now to begin to thank God for the Holy Ghost and to worship the Lord. You have to repent and then stop repenting. You have to confess and then stop confessing. The Holy Ghost is a gift, right, that is given by God and you receive the Holy Ghost. That's the word the Bible uses. You don't beg for it. You can't pay God for it. You can't buy it. You receive it. And you receive it by opening your heart and worshiping Him. When I sense that that person is ready, I'll generally ask permission to lay hands on their head and I will pray a prayer of faith. And in my mind, I see this impartation taking place. I am not God. I cannot give the Holy Ghost. But the laying on of hands was used by the Lord to impart the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now the Bible says to lay hands on no man suddenly... That really is referring to putting someone into a place of leadership in the church. Don't be hasty to put a person into leadership. But I also think that if we pray for someone to receive the Holy Ghost before they're ready, they may feel doubt that it didn't happen. It doesn't always happen. They don't always receive the Holy Ghost. I had a person one time that told me they had never laid hands on anyone who did not receive the Holy Ghost I thought they were either amazing or a big liar. I wasn't sure which. I've laid hands on people and they've not received the Holy Ghost. I don't give the Holy Ghost. But there is something that takes place that the Bible talks about with the laying on of hands that through faith you impart the Spirit and if they will receive it, God will fill them with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I have to sense that transition before I'm ready to believe God and lay hands on them for an impartation. Now let me just give you some quick examples. On the day of Pentecost, no one laid hands on them when they received the Holy Ghost. First outpouring. In Acts 8, the Samaritans had believed, been baptized, had not received the Holy Ghost. Peter and John came down, laid hands on them. Acts chapter 8, verse 17 then they received the Holy Ghost. In Acts 10, at Cornelius' house, no one touched those Gentiles and those Jewish believers didn't want to. Jewish believers didn't touch Gentiles. So I think God had to do it that way. But they received the Holy Ghost while Peter was still preaching. In Acts 19, the believers of John the Baptist were filled with the Holy Ghost after Paul had laid his hands on them and after they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I want to just encourage you that typically, if you're not a minister or altar counselor, ask men to pray with men and lay hands on the heads of men and ladies with ladies. I do believe that there is apostolic authority in the ministry, but when our our ministers here are taught that we're very respectful of people when we lay hands on them, whether it is a man or a woman. So now let me just recap a few things that I have tried to say. First of all, we need to be spiritually qualified to pray with people in the altar. We need to understand the dynamics of a prayer encounter with God, that there is an emptying and a filling, and it really focus on the filling, and that we 
work with God in that identification and impartation of the Holy Ghost through the laying on of hands. The right person in the right place can be used by God to facilitate this transaction between the sinner and our Savior, and it can make a huge difference praying with people to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, Brother Jury will share some principles, but also he and I have discussed together house rules. He is working with our altar counselors. Would you welcome our pastor of discipleship, the birthday boy himself, Brother David Jury. Amen. Everybody good? Praise God. So, um, Pastor Johns has kind of laid out or reminded us the spiritual foundation and framework that governs everything else that we talk about tonight. But my role is to kind of talk through and remind us or teach some of us who may be new the practical practices and processes that we follow here at Atlanta West in order that you and I will facilitate what God's trying to do. Brother John's talked about that spiritual transaction. Well, the practices that we're going to discuss and the processes that we're going to discuss is because we do believe that Jesus is coming back soon, right? And we also believe that everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. So it's critical that every believer is a facilitator of what God wants to do in that person's life. And so the practices and the processes that we're talking about this evening is because no one in here, no matter how well-intentioned, wants to be impediment between him and them. We're here to facilitate what God wants to do in their life. And can you say amen? Amen. So... Let's talk about some of these processes. One, if you're going to pray with people, guess what? You have to look for somebody to pray for. If you spend the whole service, you're not going to pray with anybody. All you see is your toes. Hopefully they're clean, right? So if we're going to pray for people, we should look for someone to pray for. When should we be looking to pray with someone? Well... When spontaneous prayer happens in a service, someone comes to the front to be prayed for. Does all 452 people in attendance need to come to the front? No. But should that person be stranded on an island? No. So we use wisdom. And that means somebody has to be first. So we want to pray with people then. And then, of course, in every service that I can ever remember, When our service concludes, we come to the front to pray. That's when we're looking for people to pray with. In a special altar call, like on Easter or Pentecost Sunday, we especially want to be looking everywhere for people to pray with. Now, when it's that prayer time, when it's an altar service, here at Atlanta West or really anywhere, any service we're at, that is a moment that is all hands on deck. If you're ever going to be engaged in a service, it would be better that you spiritually get engaged through the preaching and the time of prayer than that you be engaged in a song. It's all worship, and it's all about us plugging into the Spirit and giving God worship. But we don't want to disengage when it's altar time because we're just ready to go home. 
So it's an all-hands-on-deck moment in our service. Now, if the preacher calls the altar workers to the front, the altar working team, they understand that they're going to come forward along with the ministers. They're going to line up across this platform. They're going to face the congregation. They're prepared to do that, okay? We're hopeful they're prepared to do that. But I, as I've told them, as Brother Scott has reminded that team, but I'll remind us all, when that happens, it's very important that our ladies space out through, not like La La Land, space out, like here in the, te- here in the present, space out literally, spatially, across the front. Because I have seen where a lady comes marching down the aisle She is stepped out by faith. She's probably nervous. She may be very uncomfortable. She's coming down this aisle. I'm thinking about in my mind, uh, someone, I don't remember their name. And all she saw was a wall of men ready to pray for her. Well, we know, we, we may say, well, that's just brother and brother, and they're just men of God. That woman doesn't know that. That lady was like a deer in headlights. She didn't know which way to go, but she wasn't coming to the men. And so I I kind of played uh, traffic cop and got her connected to a lady. So we want to be careful to our altar worker team. This is really a reminder to them and our ministers to be proactive. When we line up across the front, like might happen Sunday on Pentecost Sunday, we want our ladies to space out so that when ladies come forward by faith that they recognize of a lady altar worker. Does that make sense? Now, the rest of us, though, all of us across the congregation, every believer, though we may not come up in line across the front, we should be proactively scanning the area where we're at. We should be looking, uh, we should be in tune and observing the people that are our guests, but we should also be looking around our section. And as appropriate, we should go pray with people where they're at. As appropriate, we may want to ask them, would you like for me to go up to the altar with you? And then if they say yes, please go up to the altar with them and be there as they respond to the guidance of the preacher and respond to God and His Word. Now, let's talk about some more principles. Talking about the preacher. We should listen to the preacher. I know you feel the Holy Ghost, right? And I know you've prayed 892 people through the Holy Ghost and they're all notched in your belt, okay? But when the preacher is in authority, we must submit to the preacher. So when he says, hang on, I want everybody to listen here just a moment. I don't care how much you feel the Holy Ghost. Stop praying and stop that person praying and listen to what the preacher instructs them to do. And then whatever the preacher asks them to do, that's what we're going to do with them and guide them. Maybe it's to repent. Maybe it's to pray for healing right now. Maybe it's to pray for our families. And then maybe it's, I want you when I say hallelujah to worship God. We don't want to be out of flow or out of sync with what the Spirit's doing through the authority of the Word of God and the preacher. Everybody smile. Amen. When we're praying with someone, we want to introduce ourselves by name. Right? I'm letting you read. 
even our kindergartners, introduce yourself by name. It's, it's a good practice. They're praying, and if all of a sudden you're just coming up and, you know, you probably just became an impediment, not a facilitator. Introduce yourself by name. Hello, my name's David. I'm a pastor here at church. I serve with Brother John's. Is there anything I can pray with you about today? That's pretty easy to say, and it's a good introduction. No matter how of an introvert you are, that, that's all you need to say, and then let the conversation go from there. Now, if it's a member who's a longtime member, you don't have to introduce it, you know. If Sister John's comes forward for prayer, I'm not going to go to Sister John. Sister John, this is Brother David. I'm a pastor on staff, and what can I, can I, I'm going to pray for you now, okay? I don't have to do that. But with rare, rare exceptions, I will, and we should always introduce ourselves to a guest or someone we don't know, okay? Common sense, right? Smart, but repetition helps us make sure we have good practices. When we're praying with people, stand in. Everybody say this word in yellow and all caps. I'm, I'm, I'm screaming without screaming. Just say that word. Front. Now, that's complicated. And I just want to give the disclaimer that if you're not a nuclear engineer, this is going to be a stretch. But to pray with someone in front of them means that you stand in front of them. This is standing in front of somebody. I'm annoying you right now, right? But I just want to demonstrate, just in case... I'm speaking in Arabic. I want you to repeat to me this line. Would you, everybody say this line in unison? Good. That was in English. I was speaking in English. Good. We stand in front of someone to pray for them. You got it? So tonight is the thousandth and first time. So I want to demonstrate... I want to demonstrate what that is one more time. When we say we stand in front of people, it means that we do this. We stand in front of them and we pray for them, okay? It does not mean that we stand behind them or that we do this. I know you have holy fingers and you're the one that's got to touch them for them to get the Holy Ghost. But we don't do that. That's not a good practice. We stand in front of them. I'm making mockery of myself a little bit, but guess what? Every single week, almost, the people laughing right now do not follow this practice. Because your Holy Ghost is so powerful... And your chill bumps are so racing down your spine, you don't think you have to follow any practice. You're just waiting, just, just putting me on them. Your Holy Ghost is not an excuse. Your zeal, your good intentions, it's never an excuse to be an impediment to, between Him and them, right? And we're talking about facilitating what God wants to do between Him and and then we stand in front of people. Move on. Do not assume. Don't assume. 
that everybody's praying for the Holy Ghost. It's not often, but it's not uncommon that I'll get feedback. I brought a guest and they gave me feedback. They came to the front and everybody just kept coming by and praying for them to get the Holy Ghost. They already had the Holy Ghost. Man, that's embarrassing. Because we talk about don't assume that they don't have the Holy Ghost. We meet people at their point of felt need. Which means that we ask them the question after we introduce ourselves. Is there anything that I can pray with you about today? And do you know that rarely the first thing on their mind is the Holy Ghost? It's my son who's estranged. It's my mom who's sick. It's I lost my job. So that's where we start praying with people is right at that point. We let them know Jesus Christ cares about you and he has the power to meet your need. And we're going to pray together for your son. We're going to pray that God will give you favor in the right interviews for the right job. We're going to pray for your mom. We're going to pray for whatever the need may be. But when they, we, so we start with their spoken need. You don't start praying for them to get the Holy Ghost if they're praying about their mom who's battling cancer. We start praying for their mom that God will heal and intervene and do a supernatural work that His name be glorified and His word be affirmed in their life. But while we're praying for them, and while we're praying for their mother to be healed of cancer, we cannot discount that there is often something deeper that they really do have a need of. They just don't even know it yet, or it's, it's overshadowed by the more pressing need that they feel. And so we start there, but then we began to move forward as, as we sense the direction of the Holy Ghost. Everybody's unique. There's no one, two, three, four roadmap for what you do once they tell you their point of need, their need, right? But as we're praying for people, we just have to be sensitive and observant of the people we're praying for. We have to, be, we have to work in the flow of the Holy Ghost operating in us. And we need to be yielded to the operation of supernatural gifts. Those things help us recognize and discern, okay, this person is is beginning to feel something and now they're being touched by the presence of God and they're coming to realize something greater than what we initially started praying for. And as a facilitator, as an altar worker, as a child of God, a believer We want to recognize that and we want to begin to change our prayers. And so again, often we have to ask questions and we may have to give instruction. That's the presence of the Lord that you feel right there. God's moving. God's answering your prayer requests right now. You you can respond to that. Just just worship God. You're feeling His love and presence. And we may ask them at that point as they're responding to what they feel... Have you ever received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues or a language that you've never learned? Now, in our particular part of the country and in our city, oftentimes people go, yeah. So I'm always going to ask it twice. And on baptism, I'm going to ask it six times, different ways. But on the Holy Ghost, I'm going to come around a lot of times and say, well, have you... 
Have you ever spoken in tongues? Have you ever spoken in a language you've never learned? Because some people are taught that when they believed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, have you received the Holy Ghost? Absolutely. But then we come around and we're going to ask them, have you ever spoken in tongues? Have you ever spoken in a language that you never learned? And sometimes we don't know. You know, however they answer, then we respond. We adapt our prayers and we begin to move forward in praying with someone to receive the Holy Ghost. Or maybe we stop them and begin to give instruction really quickly about the promise of the Holy Ghost and how we receive it and then begin to pray with them again. Everybody say amen. When we're praying with people, always ask permission before laying hands on someone. Again, almost every single week, people hearing this, this conversation, this teaching tonight, violate this practice. We ask for permission before we lay hands on people. Amen? Amen. Well-intentioned, you feel the Holy Ghost. You know, you, you're, you're talking in tongues like a jaybird and you have chills running up and down your spine. But you still have to ask for permission before you start laying hands on everybody. Can we say amen? Amen. amen. Pray out loud. Pray out loud. Pray out loud with the people that you're praying with. Especially if you're the instructor. Especially if you're the one leading the coaching, you're the, you're the lead person praying with them, then you have to pray out loud. Just sitting in front of them and whispering prayers. You may be touching the throne of God, but you're not coaching that person. You're not helping lead them through their doubt or lead them to faith or lead them to an understanding of what God wants to do for them in that moment. Pray a prayer of repentance with them. Pray for healing with them. Begin to worship God like you're about to receive the Holy Ghost. Pray out loud and pray with them. Now, be proactive but be polite. I'm going to talk about a few things, what we mean here. If they're chewing gum, you may offer to take it politely if it's a distraction, falling out of their mouth. They're, they're, they're distracted by the gum in their mouth. But that probably doesn't mean that you shove a tissue and you're trying to put it up. They didn't go to the dentist. They came to pray. So let's be polite. I've, I'm only making mockery because I've seen it. I was raised in the church, and I've been here a long time. I've seen that here. So not there, here. So let's be polite. If they're holding a child, you can offer. You can talk to these people. God's pretty cool. You're not going to mess God up by having a conversation with these people. So you can tell them, your husband is right here. Your mom, your mom can take your child. Is that okay? Your friend is here. Can they take your child? But again, we want to talk to them. Don't just grab their child and start pulling because mama bear is going to override praying lady. And you just became an impediment between him and them. So don't grab their child. Be smart about what you're doing. When they're crying, and as Pastor Johns has already alluded to, they're snotting, it's okay for you to go get tissue for them. But simply place it in their hand. You don't have to wipe their nose for them. You don't have to shove tears up on their eyes. You don't have to put the whole box of Kleenex in their hands and they're trying to do this number while they pray. 
You know, it is better that tears stain their face. It is better that snot linger on their lip and them receive what God wants to do in their life than you keep them looking pretty while they're praying. So be polite. Be proactive. Get the tissue. But let's be smart with what the spiritual transaction that's taking place right there. Always encourage and affirm the people you're praying for. You can encourage them to keep praying. Sometimes people pray for their need and they just kind of stop because that's all they've ever known. They've never been encouraged to linger in prayer or to continue in prayer. So we encourage them. That's the power of God you feel. Man, that's the presence of the Lord. That's His love. Let's just worship Him together a little bit more. But we also don't have to be afraid to stop them and to talk to them, to ask them questions, to answer those questions, and then pray for them again. It's okay. As I said earlier, God's pretty cool. And we're Americans who race the clock. But God doesn't race the clock. He can, he can fill someone with the Holy Ghost in 10 seconds when their faith and heart opens up to Him in repentance. And that can be 10 minutes after they've come up the first time and started praying. Or it can be 30 seconds later. Saturday, I'm talking and praying with a, a gentleman named Earl. We prayed. He was feeling the presence of God. But, but he kind of was done. But we kept talking and to keep him engaged, I introduced him to Brother Justin. Just, Brother Justin Jones began to speak to him and uh, kind of led him back to the Holy Ghost and said, would you like to receive that today? And Earl said yes. So we prayed for Earl again about five minutes after we had stopped praying the first time. Brother Justin gave he gave same instructions I had given, but a different perspective. And Earl prayed, and Earl received the baptism of the Holy Ghost Saturday at Hope Ministry. God doesn't need for someone to be like a drag race right out of the gate. It's okay to talk to people. Amen? Amen. 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 So we encourage them. Uh, We want to affirm them. Now, it's not taboo to tell someone they spoke in tongues. It's It's okay. We can affirm, hey, what you just felt the presence of the Lord. And, um, and to say them that man, you're you're speaking in tongues. That's it. Just enjoy the presence of the Lord. Uh, when they're done, they stop. You can say, you know, speaking in tongues is the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. And you were saying words we didn't understand. Did you understand what you were saying? Did you were you speaking in a language that you had ever learned? And they they may say, no, I, I'm not sure what was happening. And we can affirm. Well, it sounded to us like you were speaking in tongues. And if you didn't know what you were speaking, that's the evidence that God has just filled you with the gift of His Spirit, and you have become a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, and He has a great future for you. Let's just celebrate that together. Amen? And so we do. We celebrate people who receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's not like, oh, they prayed in, oh, they're speaking in tongues. Boom, bam, we're gone. Where's the next person? No, we stay, we linger, we celebrate with them, and we affirm what God is doing because here's, here's the deal, ladies and gentlemen. That's not just a momentary experience. That's not just put your token in the machine and enjoy a thrill ride. That is a part of coming into saving relationship with Jesus Christ and being ready to spend eternity in a place called heaven. That's something worth celebrating. Amen. Amen? 
If someone quits praying and they don't want to keep praying, and they did not get the Holy Ghost, I'm going to celebrate that they came to pray. I'm going to celebrate that they repented. I'm going to celebrate that they didn't cuss me out. I'm just going to celebrate that they let God touch them. And I'm affirming that this is what God wants to do in their life. Amen. Now, now the fun part, the no-no list. This is the list that will preclude you from ever getting a Christmas present ever again. One, bad breath. Amen. There's just like no excuse. We all eat crazy diets, like exotic foods, have sinuses and allergies, but that's what they make certs for and breath strips for, right? If you don't have a cert, go find Brother New. He'll loan you one. Amen. Have a cert. If my breath stinks, please offend me and tell me, but don't let me pray with people with bad breath. Give me a cert. Okay? It's that serious. If, you've ever, if I've ever had bad breath, I apologize, but you please just tell me and don't be intimidated, but don't let me pray with someone with bad breath. Think about it. Put a cert in your mouth, right? Bad body odor. We are respectful of all world cultures, but this is the United States and the southeastern part of the United States, and we, it is not our custom to have bad body odor. Therefore, if you're a, a, a praying with people, you need to not smell. Okay? Deodorant is cheap, and if you're struggling, we will get you a care packet. Right? No bad body odor. But don't overreact by too much perfume and cologne. I'm glad you like your floral scents, but if you smell like bed, bath, and body works, that's not cool. Because there's some of us who our eyes start watering the moment we walk by that store and Yankee Candle. And if you smell like that, come on. You know, simmer down. Save that for date night. But don't come to church like that. So too much is just as bad, right? Don't scream at people. Don't scream at people. You feel the Holy Ghost. They think you're angry. Don't scream at people. Talk in a normal tone. You'd be surprised how powerful your voice is this far from their ear. But because it's noise to you, you're, you're blowing their eardrum out the other side. Chill bumps and all. Don't scream at people. Pray with them in a normal tone. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and just because it's very complicated... Do not pray with people from behind. We pray with people where? In front of them. Do not lay hands on people from behind. We pray with people standing where? Do not smash their hair. You may think that's spiritual, but you demolishing their hairdo is not spiritual. 
And there's nowhere in the Bible that says that's required. That's bad practice. Don't smash their hair, right? Don't shake, roll, rub, twist, rattle, right? Don't do it. This is not a dance move, club, nor did they sign up for lessons. Don't do it. Don't shake people's head. Don't push their head back like it's going to fall off. I, again, I'm not making fun. I'm not making it up. I'm not making fun that you feel the power of God. That is important. I am not mocking that it's the Holy Ghost working through us, but your zeal that is about to put them in permanent trauma as their neck bends backwards is not the Holy Ghost. That's you and your human nature and your enthusiasm. So don't press their head back and we, we, we see it. Don't pull them. Don't shake them. Don't push them. Don't rub them. God doesn't need you to help Him out. Amen? Amen? Really, again, we'll say it again, your zeal is not an excuse for being an impediment between Him and them. Go home, shake, rattle, and roll. But don't do that for them in the altar. Amen. Don't place our hands, put our hands where they would be uncomfortable. Period. Don't do that. We put our hands on someone's head or their shoulder. Period. That's it, right? Or the, you know, the top of their, you know, maybe right there if you're... Don't even want to give room for that. <laughs> there are rare times when Brother Herod will come through about every four years. And he will say, if people, whatever your need is, I want a fellow believer to pray. I want you to put your hand on their knee or, or, or their shoulder or their headache or the back of their spine. In those rare times, follow the instruction of the preacher. But that, still that, should only be spouse to spouse, man to man, lady to lady, and only with clear permission from the person asking you to pray for their knee. Amen? Amen. So we don't do that. This next one, don't remove clothes. Either way. Either side of the transaction. Don't take your clothes off. That one I think we've got. But don't remove their scarf. Don't remove their glasses. Don't take their coat off. You don't know what's under that coat. Don't remove clothing. It's funny, but we didn't just dream it up. Amen? Don't use confusing language. Hold on, turn loose, open your mouth, let your tongue go. I still don't know what let your tongue go means. Is it going to fall out of my mouth if I let it go? What does that mean, let your tongue go? We don't use confusing language. We pray for them. We don't give them words. Don't hallelujah. I want you to say hallelujah 32 times real quick. We don't do that. We don't la, la, la. We don't teach prayer languages. We pray for them. We worship God like we're trying to get the Holy Ghost. The preacher or you should have already given instructions. So we're just encouraging them and firming them. You're doing great. That's the power of God that you feel. Let's keep praising God in our own words. That's the Holy Ghost that you're experiencing right there.
Amen? Amen? We don't scream in tongues at a person. Again, I'm glad you feel the Holy Ghost, but you screaming in tongues at a high rate of speed in their ear is not helpful. We don't scream in tongues at people, and we don't have more than one coach at a time. Turn loose, hang on. Turn loose, hang on. You know, what? You just, that's crazy. We're being a barrier between him and them. And we're trying to see a spiritual transaction happen because we believe he's coming back soon. And we believe that everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. And so we're trying to, in Christ's stead, say, be reconciled to God. So these things matter because of that. Don't allow um, more than one person giving instructions. And we want to be careful that we don't allow people to get in a rut or get exhausted. Sometimes people don't get the Holy Ghost the first time they pray. Sometimes they don't understand. Therefore, they don't have faith. Oftentimes, we kind of warp speed right by repentance. And there are some deep things that need to be repented of in that person's life. So we don't need to exhaust them. We need to stop them, talk to them, understand where they're at. So now let's, let's talk about this. We, we want to keep high eyes This is our church. And I want to keep high eyes for what's going around in my church. So if I'm seeing someone in their zeal not following these practices and I'm the one praying there, I'm going to stop that person. Right? It is better that you and I offend a fellow member than that we be a barrier between a sinner and a Savior. So you may feel the Holy Ghost and you may get your feelings in a wad. But if you're not following these principles, I'm going to stop you if I'm the one leading the prayer or or an altar team leader, Brother Scott or Sister Turner might say, no, we don't need to be doing that or one of the pastoral staff. All right? So we we protect people who are reaching for God. If, If you're uncomfortable stopping someone, then you need to point it out, Brother Sean Scott or Sister Donna Turner on the first Sunday, or one of the pastoral staff say, I, I don't think that's how we do it. And then they can, take, uh, can lead and take action, or the pastors can take action. When someone has received the Holy Ghost, or they've stopped praying for the Holy Ghost, and you're sitting there praying with them, and this has happened, someone comes up, wants to start praying for them to get the Holy Ghost, because, you know, I know you prayed for them, but you don't have the hand I've got. I've got to pray for them. They'll get it now. You can stop that person, or you can explain to them, they've just received the Holy Ghost, they don't need it again so that you can put another notch on your belt. Or they're done. Or we prayed for their mom who has cancer. Now, the pastor or the minister, they may want to talk, and they may want to pray again, but inform them where we're at. Does that make sense? Amen. Now, all of that's happened... You survived, and God has done his thing. And that person has received the gift of the Holy Ghost. We always complete a card. When? When do we complete a card? Every time. These cards are stored in the black boxes on either corner. You can see them. You can come look at them. You can touch them. You can even take one home and sample how it feels to write on it. But we... We do this card when? Every 
every time we do this card. And it needs to be completely filled out. And we need to write down everything we can to help identify that person. You don't have to go fishing for information, but if they have a blue suit and a red shirt and a pink tie, that's kind of unique to a picture, write it down. If they say, I came with, you know, uh, Brother Rudy, write it down. If they say, I know the Smith family, write it down. Anything that helps us connect with them in our follow-up. If, if What do I do with this card? Well, you would give it to Brother Sean Scott. Would you stand up, Brother Scott? Or you would give it to Sister Donna Turner if she's up front. Sister Turner, she's waving her hand. That's good. Or you could give it to a pastoral staff member. Or if everybody in the building's gone, just take it to the Welcome Center kiosk. Okay? And it, it will, we will process it and we'll get it. If the person is going to be baptized, you take that person and the card to the baptistry team that's going to be right over here on my right, and you hand the card off to the baptistry team. But every... When do we complete an altar card? And when do we take their picture? Every time. And when you take a picture, ask for permission. Explain the purposes that we celebrate. Um, every picture should be emailed um, to outreach. That's all you got to remember. Outreach at awpc.org. Put their name on it. That helps. Sometimes we just get a picture. Dear Lord, please discern whom this might be so we may follow up with them and not strand this precious soul. That's why it matters. Amen? You went home rejoicing. That person went home with a world changed and they need to be cared for. So the card and the picture helps us connect people to them. Amen? So that's the good stuff, the funny stuff. But I want to wrap back up and just quickly reiterate what Brother Johns has already alluded to and that this is eternity. This matters because I'm going to say it for the third time. We believe that Jesus is coming back. It's certain, so it's soon. And we believe that everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. So what we're talking about, whether it's here or in a or in an aisle, or it's among chairs, or it's at home at a small Bible study gathering. We're talking about eternity, and we believe that you and I, every single person can have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That because of God's grace, Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 2 and 8, that for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Great, through, by grace you have been saved through faith. God's grace makes possible that in spite of our failures, in spite of our hang-ups, no matter how long the list of needs is of the people who come to this altar, no matter how wrecked their lives may be, no matter how warped their philosophy of life may be, that when they come and they begin to seek after God, God's grace says, I am here to be your Savior. Amen? But God's grace does not just arbitrarily sneak up and body slam people. We have to respond to the invitation of grace through faith. 
And our faith is our response to God. That we believe that He is our Lord and Savior. And that saving faith will always lead us to repentance. And it will lead us to biblical obedience. And so they have to repent. Brother Johns has already covered that. That's the first step towards God. Whether you've lived for God a hundred years. Or you've never heard about Jesus Christ. Repentance is the first step towards God. And too often we just go sailing right by that. When I baptize people, which is not as often now with a team, I always ask them, have you repented of your sins? You know why I ask them? Because I hate to say it, Atlanta West, I've had people look at me and they didn't know what I was talking about, but somebody brought them to the water and just wanted them to get wet. They hadn't even repented. And we had to stop and talk about repentance. And we repented together and then I would baptize them. So we can't, repentance is the first step. Then we're commanded to be baptized in Jesus' name. It, it can happen before, like in Acts 8, they can be baptized before they get the Holy Ghost. In Acts 10, they got the Holy Ghost, and then they were baptized. And we believe that baptism is essential so that no matter where they're at, no matter what time it is, the need for baptism is urgent, and that's why we're always ready. And we believe that people should be rebaptized. Acts 19 is there strategically by divine inspiration so that we would see a pattern that if someone has been baptized but the name of Jesus was not invoked, they should be rebaptized and have the name of Jesus Christ orally invoked over them so that they can enter into covenant with Jesus Christ. And then they will receive they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the promise, the evidence of speaking in a language that they've never learned. It is God's free gift. They have to, ha- they have to quit repenting. They have to stop begging. And they have to have faith. And that's what we're leading them to do, to have faith that God will give them the Holy Ghost, that they desire God more than anything else. They have to ask God for it, and then they worship God for it. And God will do His part. Amen. When are they saved? When they have faith, when they repent, when they're baptized, when they get the Holy Ghost, when they speak in tongues. All, yes to all the above. All of these components are essential to being initiated to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about eternity. And you and I, as members, have this privilege. And we're having this conversation this evening because we get to work in Christ's stead. We get to be in Christ's stead and be a part of this transaction between a Savior and a sinner that changes the outcome eternity for their life. And that is one of the greatest privileges in the world. And you ought to thank God every time you have the privilege to pray with somebody. And that's why these practices matter. Amen? Now would you welcome back. Amen. Now, if you violate any of those, you will not be shot at sunrise. But as he said, he's not making it up. I've been here 20 years. You've been here how many years? Eight. We've seen a lot. And if there's somebody clearly in front giving instruction and you're supporting, standing behind them, fine. But every week we have people standing behind and no one standing in front giving instructions. I'd like the worship team to come. I'm going to say just a few things in closing. 
uh, I appreciate what Brother Jerry has shared with us. Uh, if we coach in the altar and give direction, we're not going to you know, arrest you and send you to the penitentiary, but we are going to do whatever we think we need to do to save that lost person and not send them away uh, abused spiritually. Amen? Now, I want to just talk briefly about two things. First of all is faith. And Brother Drew spoke about saving faith. But when we pray with people, we also have faith. God rewards those that diligently seek Him. So when you pray with people, you really must, and I'm using the word must on purpose, you must have a conviction that being baptized in the Holy Ghost is essential to salvation. If it's optional, you don't have faith because you don't really believe that God will do it. So the first thing is you believe that it's essential to salvation and you're locked into that. And then I have a conviction that the Holy Ghost is a gift. That God has promised the Holy Ghost and that He will give them the Holy Ghost and He doesn't lie. He gives good gifts to His children that the Lord is going to fill them with the Holy Ghost. I believe that they are going to receive the Holy Ghost now. Amen? And I'm also convinced that when they receive the Holy Ghost, they will speak with other tongues. I've lived long enough and watched hundreds and hundreds of people be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in a language they never learned. It is a different experience than anything else. No matter what they've had in an experience with God, we know that they will speak in other tongues. So when I pray with a person, I have a conviction that they must have the Holy Ghost. I have a conviction that they will receive the Holy Ghost. And I have a conviction to believe that when they do, they will speak in a language that they never learn. And because I believe that, I have faith to know that God will do what He said He would do. Amen? And then, the second thing I want to mention to you is what the Bible said in Revelation twenty-two seventeen: The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst say, Come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. I believe that the Holy Ghost starts giving the altar call sometimes before that person has ever walked in the door. In a dream, in an old Sunday school teacher story, somewhere down the line that we now have anything to do with, God may already be talking to them. And the Spirit, the Bible says, come. The Holy Ghost is inviting them to come. There's a preacher saying come, but the Spirit is saying come. But the Bible says that the bride, the church, also says come. So it is our responsibility to partner with the Lord and be connected to His purpose and invite people to come pray. So we preach with the preacher. We intercede in prayer. When I was a teenager, I started learning to lock in on someone in the congregation that I thought was hungry for God. And the whole time the preacher was preaching, I would be praying under my breath, Lord, fill them with the Holy Ghost. Open their eyes. Bring them to the altar. God, move on their heart today. I wanted to be a good support to my pastor and pray for people. And then we help give the invitation. Uh, we invite people to come and pray. And everything that Brother Jury said, my name is Daryl Johns, and I endorse this message. I... I 
agree with what he said. Amen. And I'm not running for office. This Sunday, Brother Luke Levine is going to preach, and I communicated with him today. And he's going to do what we often do at Easter. He's going to give people the opportunity to pray and repent where they're seated. He may have them stand. Anything can happen in a Pentecostal service. But his plan is to allow people to repent where they're seated. I have found that that was often very good. I was glad he said that because people are where they want to be. They're comfortable. They haven't made a move yet. And we'll let them pray where they are. We'll follow the instructions of Brother Luke Levine. And then he told me that he will these plans to invite the altar team to come. So when he does, please quickly come and stand, as Brother Jury said, spread out across the front, not clumped up men here and women there, but kind of, you know, I don't want to say boy, girl, boy, girl, but you get the idea. And then the spirit says come, the bride says come. When you come to the altar, it's important that you believe that there's nothing dangerous down here. Nobody's going to fall into a, through a trap door. There's no rattlesnakes down here. If you as a member of this church act reluctant about coming to the altar, how do you think that guest feels? They wonder if you don't believe that coming to the altar is the right thing to do. I'm sure not going to the altar. But by you coming and moving down here, I thought of a word today. That word is saunter. Anybody ever heard that word? It means to walk in a slow, relaxed manner without hurry or effort, a leisurely stroll. And I just want to tell you that that is not how we come to the altar at Atlanta West. Well, I'm just going to kind of stroll down there, you know, and I would like for you to move toward the altar, but you're looking around for people that need God and are inviting them to come with them. There's a possibility that we're going to sing a song on Sunday that says, come to the altar. And it goes like this. We're going to sing it in a minute. I'd like for you to stand. I know it's a little later than normal. Oh, this has been a very special, important night to prepare us for what God is going to do on Sunday. So with everything you know, I want to encourage you in these two last things, to have faith and pray that God will do it on Sunday. And then join the Holy Ghost. Join God's work. And give the invitation with the Lord. Amen. If you have time to come to the altar tonight, would you join us? I want you to hear this song, but this is probably what we're going to sing on Sunday. And it's a great altar call song.